Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. I don't know about you, but I'm in the middle of a um, season that is incredibly uh, busy. Um, I think the nature of kingdom ministry is that there's always the element of hard work. Um, I appreciate all my brothers and sisters that you know constantly focus on you know rest, 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 rest. But you don't want to get out of balance with that because the reality is is that when you read the writings of Paul, you read the Book of Acts, you watch the ministry of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Um, there's a lot of hard work in fulfilling your calling and being obedient to the kingdom commission that is binding upon the church. That means every member of the Big C Church, every Christian, has a part to play in advancing the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just simply um, you know, wanting us to sit around and pray, wanting us to just sit around and listen to music or podcasts or sermons. There's actually a great deal of expectation and urgency in the scriptures about um, work. <laughs> and that's not a popular thing. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ who you know, think God's pinnacle goal for them is to you know, just sit. And uh, while we certainly need to be like Mary at the feet of Jesus, uh, listening and abiding and um, experiencing his presence, all of that is unto something. What is it unto? Well, we are to advance his mission, his dream, his goal for planet earth in every generation. And that can't be done just sitting around praying and worshiping and listening to, to sermons. And so, um, ministry is hard work. It, by the way, if you feel called in the kingdom and you feel like, um, God has a purpose, a grand purpose for your life. And you want to do ministry vocationally. If you don't have a good work ethic, please do not commit to ministry. Do not commit to ministry. Don't expect to, um, you know, gain a, a job at a church or a ministry and expect it to be just like sitting around reading Bible verses all day or praying. And, um, you've got to realize, no, man, there, there are people out there that need the gospel. You have to leave the church to go out into the culture and take the gospel. You have to study. You have to get up earlier and stay up late. You have to lay hands on people. You have to minister to people. You have to tarry and get the word of the Lord. Then you have to figure out how you're going to release the word of the Lord. Or you've got to write songs. Or you've got to practice songs and sing songs. Or you've got to um, you know, visit the sick and the afflicted and the uh, orphaned and the widowed. Um, my point being is that the idea of ministry for most of us when we were young, and some of you are still young, so maybe this will get into you before you get old. Um, but our idea was, you know, just this fantasy of it going to be like, you know, constant breakthrough and constant visions and constant anointing and constant salvations and uninterrupted global, you know, epic thermonuclear encounters with God. And the reality is, is that is not true. It wasn't even true in the Bible days. The Bible, of course, especially in the book of Acts, portrays the Christian life as um, very um, supernatural. And it should be even in our day. But what the Bible doesn't include is long narratives about all the boring days in between the epic encounters. 
<laughs> you know, Luke didn't sit and write down, um, you know, July 22nd, uh, AD, you know, 55. We did nothing today. Uh, the next day we did very little today. The next day we didn't see the move of God today. Day after that, it's been two weeks since anything amazing has encountered that those it's not a journal. It's an account of the acts of the apostles in the book of acts. And so a lot of the content is amazing and stunning and supernatural, but it was happening in the context of many days that would have been very natural. And so the idea that our, our days are going to be filled with an unbroken stream of supernatural epic events is just not reality. And frankly, a lot of ministry is hard work. It's just grunt work. And so my point in, is beginning today is I want to talk to you about the possibility of us doing God's work in the flesh. And there's many manifestations of how God's good and glorious work could be done in the flesh. And I'm going to only focus on a little bit of it today, but I really want to speak to anybody that's willing to listen on this thing. And I want you to examine your own life and ask yourself, not what are you thinking? What are you believing? What are you hoping? But what are you doing? What are you actually doing with your life right now? And how long have you been doing it? And is it possible that there is flesh gotten involved that tells you one day you will do this or experience this. And in the meantime, you're just kind of standing around waiting for God to do something epic to make your dream happen. The The way I can best I can tell in scripture is God is typically uh, recruiting people who are already doing something. It may be imperfect. It may be small in comparison to what he eventually gets them to do. But they're, none, none of them are just kind of just sitting around, hanging out, saying, well, if God wants to use me, he'll use me. They're already engaged in doing what they can as they wait to do what they should. So I was thinking about Moses, um, and Moses is a very interesting character study in the book of Exodus primarily. Um, and, and you look at his life, and of course, he started out in the flesh. You know, Moses thought he was going to deliver Israel by the strength of his own power. And so he, you know, he... He murders a man. He kills an Egyptian. He literally murders one of the people that was oppressing the Jews. And, you know, there's like a couple million of these Egyptians that I guess Moses thought he's going to kill them all one by one so he could set the people free. So he had some sense of God's calling that he would be the liberator and deliverer of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, but he went about doing it the wrong way. And so what does God do? Well, God, you know, allows Moses to experience, he reaps what he sows. So he kills that man. There's a bounty out on his head now as a, a wanted murderer. So then he becomes a fugitive and he flees Egypt. So he actually flees the place of his assignment because he started out in the flesh. And so for 40 years, he's, you know, watching sheep. He creates a new life. He gets married. He's raising kids. He's working for his father-in-law and he's out in the middle of the desert and he's now an 80 year old man. And for 40 years, all Moses did this man with a calling, this man with, you know, who would have a destiny as the deliverer of, of Israel from Egypt. But in those 40 years, God had to teach Moses that he was a nobody. Because Moses grew up thinking he was a somebody. Moses was, you know, trying to make God's will happen in the power of his own understanding and his own flesh. And God said, yeah, I'll never bless that. And so it, God's so patient, man. He just put Moses out in the desert for 40 years. And during those 40, and it wasn't punishment. It's not, I mean, Moses just reaping what he sowed. 
Moses didn't have to be in the desert, but when you, you kill somebody and there's a bounty on your head and you want to live, you, you have to run to a safe place. And Moses had to go to a safe place. And it was in that place in the desert that God trained Moses um, and prepared him for, for ministry. So at 80 years old, you know, Moses gets the burning bush episode. God says, go back, deliver my people. I'm going to give you everything that you need. And uh, I'm truncating the story here. I'm just shortening it. But y'all know the story. Moses goes down into Egypt. You've got the 10 plagues. You've got the splitting of the Red Sea. You've got the drowning of Pharaoh's army. And boom, God's people are out of slavery. And then Moses is going to be leading them for another 40 years. Where? In the desert. So at 80 years old, he delivers the people, and then the people murmured, complained, didn't believe God, and God said, look, I'm going to let you guys stay out here in the desert for 40 years until you learn how to trust me. And so around the age of 120, Moses is getting near the end of his life, and God's saying, okay, it's time to take the people into the promised land. Um, it's very close to that time. and But they're in a place in the desert where they don't have any water. And so um, they're complaining, and they're complaining. And what's interesting is that, you know, I mean, just think about this. The, the, the Lord is seeking to deliver Israel into the place of their destiny under the leadership of Moses. Moses is giving them uh, the opportunity uh, to follow him into the promised land. He's, you know, he's given it his all, but these people are problematic. They, they're only good at one thing, to be honest with you. They're... <laughs> They're, they're a congregation of complainers. Um, man, I'm telling you, I would not have survived as the leader of that group of folks. And the, by the way, the vast majority of people that I've pastored have been a blessing to lead. But those the Israelites who Moses led were, weren't skilled at much when they you know made that exodus from Egypt. But they were unparalleled in the art of murmuring and complaining. And so, you know, Moses is, is an old man in his 80s. He's leading forth God's chosen people. And the deliverance of a lifetime from Egypt, from you know, four centuries of generational enslavement. Moses had didn't, done miracles, and God anointed him, powerfully used him in the courts of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh and his army had been made into a humiliated, defeated memory, you know, drowned in the Red Sea as God split the Red Sea and led his people across in safety. And he was doing this all while utilizing Moses as his primary tool, his primary minister, his primary servant, his primary leader. But by the time they get into the wilderness, you know, the people had forgotten about that power from and breakthrough from Moses. I mean, they forgot almost immediately. Shortly after it occurred, they started their pattern of murmuring and complaining. They were tired of the sand. They were tired of the sun. The journey was wearying them. They talked about the home-cooked delicacies of Egyptian food. I mean, they're romanticizing their past. They forgot they were slaves and they're talking about the food that they enjoyed because now they're in the desert and they're eating manna, which was boring to them. And, you know, by that time, Moses was old news. And there was even an episode where they hoped that Moses's brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, might bring some refreshment to the, to the leadership team. And so, you know, Miriam and Aaron were trying to step forth and co-lead with Moses and God placed an emphatic no <laughs> on that desire. And he once again established Moses as their continued front runner leader. But by the time we get to this little place where I was, I was wanting to talk about, they, they're low on drinking water they, and they just couldn't take any more of the dryness out there. And so that's when complaints started pouring forth, even as the water wouldn't pour forth, the complaints were. And, you know, they're accusing Moses 
all these complaints and accusations are landing at the sandals of Moses. Till finally the old man, I mean, he's old, man. He is like giving his all. And the people are murmuring, complaining. He could take no more. And he, so he flings himself down before God and he prays this desperate prayer. And the Lord answers him and, and says, Moses, go down before the rock of Meribah and speak to it. Now, this is going to be another miracle. God's saying the people need water, Moses. They're complaining. They're murmuring. Moses, I've heard your prayer. I get your desperation. I know they're sapping your strength through all their whining, complaining, and murmuring. By the way, that's a quick word to all of you who follow leaders in the kingdom. Um, most leaders in the kingdom are good for the battle, but the thing that wearies leaders the most is when their followers whine, murmur, and complain. Uh, you can put that in your pocket and do whatever you want with it. But So Moses is crying out to God, and God says, all right, go down to that rock at Meribah. And God said, that rock's going to pour out sufficient water for everybody. But I want you to verbally command the water to come, come forth. By the power of your voice, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. Matter of fact, this is in the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter number 20, let me just read two verses. It says, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Listen to this from Moses. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and so did the livestock. So God had said, Moses, go speak to the rock, and the rock will bring forth the water. And Moses is like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to show these whiny, complaining, murmuring followers that I still got the power of God in my life. And so Moses, in doing the work that God had assigned him to do, Moses gets in the flesh. God had told him to do what? Speak to the rock and the water will come. But I just read to you from Numbers 20 where Moses got down and yells at the people, calls them a bunch of rebels, says, watch this, you bunch of rebels. And he, he strikes the rock. He takes his staff and he hits the the rock twice. God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. Bad move, Mo. <laughs> really bad move, Mo. Um, you might say, well, why is it a bad move? Jeff, the rock provided the water, right? Their complaining ceased, right? And the end result, Jeff, was that the thirst of the entire nation, the people following Moses, they're their thirst was quenched, right? So yeah, I mean, surely. Yeah, the people got what they wanted, but the leader lost what he wanted. The people got what they wanted, but because he acted in the flesh, Moses loses the greatest thing that he ever wanted. What, what am I talking about? Well, because of this, in that same chapter, the next verses, after Moses struck the rock, it says, so God then spoke to Moses and said, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Do, do, do you catch that? Moses just got shot blocked by God from entering the promised land. I mean, that was the whole point to carry Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses had always envisioned living in the promised land as the deliverer of the people of God 
And Moses, because he did God's work in that one moment, in the flesh, God said, Moses, you got the water, but you lost the reward. It's pretty intense, to be honest with you. Um, You know, God cared so much about Moses' obedience and reverence that he ended up refusing to allow this leader, um, he wasn't going to allow his frustrated, fleshly smiting of the rock to go unpunished. God had said, speak to the rock, but Moses spoke to the people and struck the rock twice. And Moses had his privileges removed. Think about it. He'd never be allowed to enter into the promised land. He gave the people what they wanted. He paid the price because in doing so, Moses denied the Lord what he wanted. He gave the people what they wanted, but because he operated in the flesh, he denied the Lord what the Lord wanted. Now, I get it. This probably sounds unreasonable to some of you, but you need to know that God was not simply seeking to work through Moses, but God was wanting to work in Moses. And when God tells a man to speak to the rock, Then he means for that man to use his lips and his vocal cords, not his hand and his smiting staff. And and the obedience level in the life of a leader is intense. James would write in his epistle in the New Testament, don't many of you desire to be teachers because ours is the stricter judgment. Teachers, leaders, spokespeople for God will give a stricter account for their lives than those who were not preachers, leaders, um, and spokespersons for God. It's clear in Scripture. Jesus speaks of a greater judgment. James speaks of a stricter judgment. Moses was one of the premier leaders in all of the history of God's people, so God did not allow Moses a whole lot of latitude for how he led. Why? Because he did the work of God in his flesh. Now, what is just kind of crazy is, I mean, amazingly, the people got what they needed through the disobedient leadership of Moses. I mean, that's grace. But the heartbreak is that Moses lost his reward. Moses produced results. But we we should note right here that pragmatism often brings results in church work and kingdom work and ministry. Being pragmatic, I mean, God God uses people, men and women, that have disobedience in their lives, and God will even bless people through their leadership. But I'm talking to those that think that they are leaders or are leaders and know it or think they want to become leaders. God says it's not just the pragmatic effort to get the work done. You have to do the right thing in the right way. And frankly, I'm just going to be honest with you, in ministry and church work and kingdom work, flesh can produce visible outcomes. Moses got the water out of the rock. But man, it cost him everything. You know, people can drink from the ministry of those who disobey. A lot of people, you know, when they find out a leader fell, committed immorality, lost his or her ministry, we've seen a lot of that, man. Good night. The Ravi Zacharias thing from 2020 may have been actually earlier in 2021. Um, You know, this is a man deeply respected and admired. I benefited incredibly from his teachings and his books. And he was a fraud. You know, he was a fraud. And then you think to yourself, well, how, how could God use a person like that? Well, because God will sometimes use people whom he can't bless. 
but he uses it for his glory. So just because there's visible outcomes in a ministry does not necessarily mean God's endorsing that. Because again, just like in this passage in Numbers, people can drink from the ministry of those who disobey God. But the disobedient leaders cannot drink from that ministry that's built upon their own disobedience. They're going to remain thirsty. They're going to live with regret. They're going to end up wishing that they had obeyed God and spoken to the rock instead of listening to the rabble of the people. Uh, Let me wind up today's episode and just charge and challenge you because uh, a lot of the listeners in Mavericks and Misfits are young adults. Um, We don't know all the demographics, but we we hear mostly from young adults. If you're middle-aged or older and you're listening to this, it'd be awesome to hear from you. I'd love to hear from your generation. You can email me no matter what age you are. Email me thoughts, comments, feedback, whatever at Jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Jeff, that's me, at maverickmisfit.com. But most of the feedback we get is from younger people. And I I will just say to this, say this to you, if you want to lead in the kingdom, if you really have a calling of leadership on your life or you have a stirring for that calling, you need to know that you're entering into a greater paradigm of accountability. And it begins immediately. Uh, There's just things the Lord won't let me do. Um, and if I tried, I'd probably be strictly judged. There's things that might be passable in the lives of those whom I lead that God says, that's not for you. I'm not, I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about like liberated things, things that are actually, we have liberty to say yes to, to say no to. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a speaker. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. So I live and die by my words. And God's like, Jeff, I gave you that mouth to use for my glory. And man, I'm going to tell you, sometimes I'll say something flippantly. Sometimes I'll say something in my flesh. Uh, sometimes I'll say something that's loveless. And the Holy Spirit wears me out about that. I mean, I've, I've, I've preached whole sermons that were 99.9% glory. And then I'll say something stupid and the anointing leaves. I'll just say, you know, one sentence stupid in the sermon and it, it undermines everything else I've said. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't bless my flesh. And guys, what comes out of our mouths, what proceeds from our lives, what, what we say, what we do, what we allow into our lives, what we associate with, the practices and the habits and the indulgences. Listen, all of that stuff's connected. You can't compartmentalize your ministry from your character. And so Moses slipped up. He messed up. And we got to finish well, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to finish well. I believe this thing's getting wrapped up down here on planet Earth. I fully expect the return of the Son of God to occur during my lifetime. I might be wrong. Don't think that I am. Fully expect it to occur during my lifetime. And so I'm thinking a lot about if I'm finishing my race in this season, how am I finishing? Am I sitting around? Am I waiting for my elevation? Am I looking for somebody to make my ministry happen for me? Am I living off the fumes of dreams and visions and prophetic words, but I'm not putting in the hard work? Come on, that's lazy. God doesn't endorse or bless laziness. Somebody's spoken prophetic words over you about your destiny? Well, strap on your shoes and get moving in that thing. You say, well, Jeff, the door hasn't opened yet. Well, the door hasn't opened for a lot of people because they've never stepped and walked through the door of a servant. You've got to walk through the door of a servant before you can be 
reasonably expecting to be used as a leader. I know a lot of people, man, they're just waiting on their moment in the spotlight. They're waiting for a platform. They're waiting to be put on the stage. They're waiting to be put on the podcast. They're waiting to be put on the, the YouTube video. They're waiting for somebody to promote them. You know, I've got a strong commitment in my life. I will never, ever promote somebody in uh, ministry is to whatever degree I have the ability to do that. I will never advance, elevate, or promote anybody in ministry that hasn't proven themselves as a servant because it's counterproductive. If you give a person privilege in ministry before they're ready, then you're actually doing that person a disservice because they'll be swallowed up with pride and they'll feel entitled. There's a dude in the New Testament, he's only mentioned twice. You probably aren't really familiar with him because there's not much said about him. But his name is Archippus, and he's found only in two places. Uh, he's found in the book of Colossians chapter 4, and he's found in the second verse of the book of Philemon. And in Philemon, where he's first mentioned, the first introduction we have, he's, he's called Paul's fellow soldier. So Paul's got this guy named Archippus, and all we know about him in that letter to Philemon is he's a fellow soldier. And Paul wouldn't toss that phrase around lightly. That means this guy's the real deal. This guy is steadfast. This guy's proving himself. This guy, Archippus, is a dude who Paul says, yeah, this is one of my homeboys. This is a guy that I run with. He's a fellow soldier. This is my boy, Archippus, and we greet you. And then by the time you get to the book of Colossians, towards the end of it, Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this, Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Now, don't miss that. So in a short time, Archippus went from being this uh, commendable fellow soldier, and soldiers endure hardness, and soldiers put in the work, and soldiers go to battle, and soldiers stay there and lay it all on the line. Paul said, that's Archippus. But then a time passes. I don't know exactly how much time, but it wasn't a terribly long time. And Paul's having to say to the church at Colossae, hey, I don't, I don't know where Archippus is anymore, if he's still down there with you guys. Send him word that he's received a calling and a ministry from the Lord, and he better fulfill it. Motivate that dude. Tell that dude to get back in the game. Tell him that he's not meant for the sidelines and sitting around and kicking rocks. Get, get Archippus back in the game. Tell him that in the name of Jesus, I'm telling him as the apostle that he is to fulfill the ministry that he's received in the Lord. And Paul even made it um, uh, personal. He said, Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I think that's important. You're not done yet. <laughs> uh, don't bask in the glow of what God's called you to do. <laughs> Get up and keep doing it until he gives you something else to do. I, I, you know, I was called into ministry on December 14th. Uh, 1994, four months after I was saved, I've received a calling on a Wednesday night that's gripped me ever since. I've never been able to shake loose of it. I've never wanted to. Um, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not done yet. And the fact of the matter is the verdict is still out. Why? Because the verdict about you and your ministry and your calling doesn't come in until you get to the end of things. That's why Paul said this. Paul said this to Timothy, his, his sweet little son in the faith. He said, Timothy, be sober-minded, endure the suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Be sober-minded. That means keep your head in the game. Endure suffering. That means never quit even when it gets painful and hard. Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Keep looking for the people that God's sending you forth to in the kingdom because they need the gospel. And then he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 5, fulfill your ministry. 
Guys, that's a word. That's the word for this podcast. The word for this podcast is, are you, you want to be a leader or you want to do the work of the Lord? You want to be a servant of the Lord? You've got a ministry? Fulfill it. You're not done yet. God gave you that because he, he saw that that was something you would do well in in the kingdom. You would bring him glory. It would bring you pleasure. Don't you dare quit it. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, um, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, he uses some metaphors here to help us get a grip on what it means to, to discipline ourselves to fulfill our ministry. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or a temporary crown. But we, an imperishable. And so Paul says, so I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do you get that? The great apostle Paul says, I am not done yet. I am still to this day disciplining myself, keeping my head in the game, saying no to whatever I need to say no to, giving my best yes to the most important things so that after I've spent my life preaching to others, leading others, pouring into others, serving others, he says, I don't want to finish my race and stumble at the end and become a castaway, become disqualified from everything that I said I was, I was living for. So man, those are some urgent words. I hope that motivates some of you guys. Get busy in the kingdom, man. So I don't know what to do. Well, do what you can. Go ask your leaders, hey, what can I do? And then do what they ask you to do. You say, well, what if it's not consistent with my destiny? You don't have a destiny that's independent of servanthood. You don't have a destiny that's independent of humility. You don't have a destiny that is detached from God's expectation that you'd be just as eager to do the messy little trivial things as you would the glorious spotlight things. You got to know your own heart. I got to know my own heart. If I'm not willing to do the grunt work at some point in ministry, especially in the beginning stages, um, then, man, what reason should I expect that I would be faithful in the more glorious work? Jesus said the one that's faithful in the little will be faithful in much. The one that's not faithful in the little things will never be faithful in that which is much. So today, let me just wind up. I'm speaking as a Christian leader among many, many of us who are seeking to please God. And guys, let me just say, I've failed more times than I could ever count. I've been doing this a while, and I have failed a lot. I've made tons of mistakes, but I've learned to move forward. And frankly, it's pretty, pretty certain that on some level, I'm going to fail God again at some time, probably many times. Yet there's one failure. There's one failure that I hope I never, ever commit again. I don't want to allow my frustrations with people or my fears of people to serve as an excuse to disobey the voice of God. That's what Moses did. Moses got frustrated with the people, and that was his platform by which he ended up disobeying the voice of God, and he missed the best part of the blessing of being God's servant. So for you, here's here's my prayer for you, and I'm praying it for me too. God, grant us a staying power not to budge from what you're leading us in. Lord, help us to never smite the rock if you've told us to speak to the rock. Lord, help us not to seek to take the easiest path or shrink back from the hardest way if it comes. And Father, just help us remember, God, in a day where everybody spotlights the rewards and spotlights and Instagrams and social media promotes all their glory. God, help us to remember that pragmatism and the results orientation constantly contempt us to dismiss the voice of our Father in the little things. 
And Lord, help us to remember you don't actually speak little things because if you speak it, it's not a little thing. And so let me be obedient. Let the listener be obedient. May we never become one of whom it is said they bowed to the whims of the people when they should have bowed to the will of the Lord. Lord, help us to never allow results to become our master. Lord, I don't, I don't want anybody listening to do what Moses did and experience what Moses experienced at the end of his life. He, he saw the loss of his full inheritance on the earth. So help us, Lord, never to act in a way that we hazard the same outcome for our own lives. Help us to obey you in everything and let the chips fall where they may. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I hope you've been motivated and encouraged. Go to transformingtruth.org. That is our umbrella parent ministry for Mavericks and Misfits. There's tons of resources on there. Get a copy of my book, Figuring It Out As I Go. You can actually help uh, support me in this ministry. Uh, We don't ask for donations for Mavericks and Misfits, but if you ever did want to bless uh, me, you pick up a copy of that book, and I I think you'll be blessed in reading the book. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at transformingtruth.org. And listen, get, get plugged into a church. I mean, guys, this is not the time to be hiding out. This is time for soldiers to step up. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have in the Lord. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.